Hello and welcome to Vet Chloe on the Road. Insights from real people making positive change for our planet. I am Chloe, a veterinarian who has an interest in wildlife and all things environmental. And this is a show for people who would like to connect, learn, and prioritize caring for our beautiful green and blue world. Come join me as I travel around Australia in my van, Layla. Let's share all things conservation and meet all the inspiring environmental heroes along the way. And on today's podcast, would you like to meet Andrew Eucles? If you haven't already, check out his amazing barehanded animal catching videos on YouTube. I've been following his antics for the last six years, and while here in the Northern Territory, I got the pleasure of meeting him and going on his Eucles wild tours. We'll talk a bit about it, but in a nutshell, it was exactly what I was after, the real deal. Four days of traversing across two spectacular locations of the Australian landscape, the Bush River system and floodplains, catching turtles, frogs, snakes, echidnas, lizards, chasing after feral pigs in marsh, being careful of the salties, seeing all the different animals out there, dingoes, buffalo, feral cats, birds, swimming in the rivers, spying a freshwater croc under there, spearfishing for dinner, cooking on campfires, hours of walking that go into the night, picking up on tracks, smells and sounds of animals and tuning into nature nature and with the best of company. Andrew is as genuine as he comes across on the screen and will make you laugh and learn. Also for the first time I should have the video of this interview available on my website vetchloe.com so check that out if you would like the full experience of sitting down with us and having a chat in the atmospheric setting of the Corroboree Tavern. So welcome to the show, Andrew. It's great to be here. Thanks, <laughs> Chloe, for the invitation. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome, and thank you for being open, receptive to it. Definitely. Just want to say, you know, I've had probably the most adventurous, unique, and immersive experience Whee! in the wild ever. <laughs> so, um, you know, thank you for the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell listeners a bit about what we've just done? It's the Eucles Wild Tours. Right. So I guess, you know, when I sat down and I started thinking about this, you know, I was kind of planning on all the experiences that I had, you know, endured over the years. And I wanted to create something for the viewer that they could actually see through my eyes. Mm. And I felt as though, like, the YouTube um, platform of, you know, showing what I did wasn't enough. I actually wanted to bring people into my world to see what I see. Mm-hmm. So I guess the first idea that I had was, well... How can I change someone's perspective about the environment? That was probably the first thing. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of the things I learnt was it's all about being able to develop a connection between the person and the environment. So that was a huge aspect of developing these tours. Was it's, it was it was trying to get people out there into the environment to be able to form a not just a, a connection but to reclaim a relationship with the environment. Yeah. And that yeah. was part of the plan. Well, you certainly achieved that with myself. I hope I did. <laughs> The vision coming to fruition. Definitely. Yeah. And and why is that? You you feel like people should get out there and connect? Um, what's your motivation behind these tours? Look, I think at the end of the day, look, we've come to a point in, in society where we've lost our connection with, with nature. You know, we've had this uh, influx of, of communication and this influx of technology. And all it's done is it's... Uh, I think the, the word that we came up with uh, was denatured. It's denatured yes. us and it's pulled us away yes. from nature. Here we are drinking our beer and coke. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right, yes. Uh, After our adventure. At, exactly. Um, but it was, Bourbon and coke. It was one of those things where um, I, I, I think that we've got to be turning back to nature. I think there's been a lot of visionaries out there um, mm-hmm. which have opted for this to happen. You know, this is obviously going to change the course of how we treat the environment because mm. the environmental problems that we have today and the ones which are existing are a result of the choices that we make. Yeah. The biggest stresses on this earth are the ones of the simple things that we can be changing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it was one of those things of how can I bring people to nature and form that connection? Because when you're connected to something, you're more inclined to care about it, right? Yeah, yep, definitely. And a true yeah. connection. That's right. Yeah. And that's a philosophy. But And, and part of that, like, um, you know, when I take people out there on the tour and I let people get into my mind frame, mm-hmm. um, I'm also... Uh, also taking a step back and letting people view the animals as well. Yes. And also just a little bit of dialogue here and there based on my experience of what the animal's doing, what the animal's thinking, all that sort of stuff. So I try to get the person thinking like the animal. Yes. For today, uh, I'll give you a, a, a split example. There was a moment in time where we stopped and we were behind a tree and um, we'd been watching this ball which had been moving around in the floodplain 
and you know we've already caught one and already got up close and personal but there was a point there where I looked behind and I saw you had really attuned into that animal and you were learning so much from its behavior and almost you're looking at that individual with a personality that you were connecting with that animal in that time and space. Yeah. And that's what part of the tours is about. It's not so much as a hands-on approach, it's also this passive observational connection that people will develop as mm. well. And I saw it happened with you when we were out there. Yeah, you certainly go into the mind of the animals that you're closely observing because if you want to catch them, you've got to know them. So you've got to get into their mindset and that's why I would describe it as a one of a kind, to be honest. When you had your tours um, beginning this year and it got into my radar, I just jumped on it because mm-hmm. no one else is doing it. You know, I don't have anyone to com- necessarily compare with or it's very unique and I think that you are filling a niche that is needed. As you say, we need to get back to nature. I think it's a format that can be used, um, you know, not just here on this continent, but it can be used, um, you know, in many different yeah. places as well. And people, as we discussed before about the whole ecotourism and what yeah. what standardises that, um, <laughs> you know, I, I feel that the um, the type of connection that I build people with the animals is a very personal connection, but I give yeah. them a sense of empowerment when they're out there in yeah. the environment as well. Yeah, no, that's that certainly we, true. Yeah, you know, um, I, I guess there's a... a a section of the tour which we come across as predators mm. in this landscape and yeah. you probably got that feeling that vibe just the way we're walking yeah and how birds just suddenly flock away from us and yes. i haven't felt threatening but i guess i look threatening that's right and it was an interesting it was interesting to kind of figure out my hierarchy in this ecosystem mm-hmm. what i need to be wary of where i'm stepping mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i'm definitely not not at risk mm-hmm. um, out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting to kind of get a feel for it. Definitely. Mm. I feel it's interesting also, it's a humbling experience to come into uh, an element of where we went because there's also apex predators out there like crocodiles yeah. as well. So it's interesting to see people, and it doesn't happen often, that they step back into this caution and risk uh, yeah. kind of uh, way of viewing at nature, which yeah. is very instinctive. You know, mm. we get to water, we wade through water, we're really careful, you know, there's all these sorts of things. Which wait for you to go which, first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that's Very right. Very instinctual. But it, it happens at, um, sometimes at a subconscious uh, level where you're not even thinking yeah. about it, you know what yeah. I mean? Which is very interesting because, once again, this is what's drawing you closer yeah. to nature and, and drawing you closer to that core part of being what a human being is all about. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And... You know, to fill people in more as to what we got up to, um, they're still a bit unclear. We've just had four days of talking, haven't we? Pretty much. <laughs> All about these sort of wildlife topics and animals, and um, it just is it's wonderful to spend time with you because it's obviously a true passion of yours, and you just have a wealth of endless knowledge and information, and you obviously just live and breathe it. So it was, it was lovely to share that with you. But what we got up to is not for the faint-hearted. Definitely I, not. I definitely, you know, signed up with um, not knowing too much but we have um you know we're here in northern territory and camping out Mm -hmm. um and just going out for long hours of the day from sort of from wake up till we come back sometimes into the late evening because you can see animals in the dark but we're doing long walks and catching and finding animals as Mm -hmm. we go it's been um four days so far I think what's interesting is you've got to be able to find locations which are remote yeah, uh, and places where, you know, there's obviously going to be high abundances of, of animals uh, and yeah. in a way that you can uh, infiltrate into these environments and know that um, you're going to, well, you're going to have the success rate of being able to find things. Yeah. You know, I and mean, that's obviously very important yeah. when you're taking someone out to feel those experiences and go through those enduring uh, tasks. Yeah. Um, you know, I do, I do feel like a large part of the tools, however, is um, it's kind, of like, it's kind of like this reflex that I have about showing the environmental issues which some of these places are facing as well. And um, you could see, like, uh, you know, throughout the course of the tour, there's a, a huge input to do with the feral animals and the problem that they're having. Definitely, at, The yep. buffaloes and the pigs. And I guess that seems to be a main part of the focus of the tours, mm. you know what I mean, is bringing them to the camera. Um, you know, sh- showing the client and actually seeing, you know, these are the problems which exist out here. Yes, we've got so many beautiful native animals, but mm-hmm. I do focus on the issues, but I do it in a fun way. You know, when I'm screaming and yelling, I'm saying, Chloe, quick, <laughs> you've got to catch this pig. And you're running through marshes and all that sort of stuff. Yes. Um, it's a way of, um, I guess, you being able to see these animals up close and personal and also see the devastation that they do. Yeah, firsthand. So it's a, it's, it, you know, as much as the tours are 
practical and they are adventurous and they are wild. It's an educational experience where people can leave yeah. knowing uh, more about the environment and um, yeah. the impacts which are out there. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, and I would say you certainly achieved that with myself. It's great because questions come up as you see things. So it's a very kind of authentic way of learning because you have a burning question and yes. then you receive the answer and it's it's a great way to go about it. I really would encourage people if they are inclined to <laughs> to do these tours. Five stars, yeah, <laughs> I would <it's> say. <laughs> Even though it's rough and ready. Yes. Um, so can you tell us a bit about your background? So I got introduced to you six years ago by word of mouth, which is I'm sure how it works. Um, yeah. I've certainly spread the word of mouth of right. have you ever seen um, Andrew Nichols' uh-huh. YouTubes? And I think it goes from there very um, organically. But how did this all begin for you? I think with a lot of individuals it starts from childhood. Yes. You know what I mean? This uh, affinity and this passion and love that they have for animals. And it's almost like, it's funny because, you know, I, I remember talking to a couple of people and, um, you know, their experiences with dealing with animals. And um, some people which are geniuses with animals are not very good on a social level. You mm. know what I mean? Um, yep. They seem to be a little bit odd and they don't really fit into social settings. and. Yep. And, and, <laughs> and even individuals that, that suffer um, some some funny um, um, some funny illnesses, you know, like Asperger's and, and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, they have uh, very odd uh, inclina- very odd connections with animals and all mm. that sort of stuff. I don't say I came from any of those parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dare say that uh, from a very young age, it was about understanding these animals in their natural environment, but dealing with wild animals. Yes. That was the key. It was dealing with wild animals. That was the the, the real draw. And uh, I feel like when you're dealing with wild, wild animals, there's a sense of unpredictability there. But there's a sense of of skill that has to come into play, and a sense of observation. And uh, with this, you know, it becomes a it becomes a lifestyle. Mm. Really, when you're out there to become good or become a master of this. Yeah. You know. Uh, but so, what uh, age were you out there? Young. Starting. Six, seven years old. It started with catching. Actually, you snakes, told me some stories. Snakes yes. and lizards, and then started going through the processes. The birds in the background. Like I could teach you how to catch the crellas. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Went went for the absolute processes of of yeah. um, you know just trying to figure things out. You know as. Yeah. And ancestors would have done. You know, we can look at this from an anthropo- anthropological yes. uh, perspective as well. Is it's still ingrained within us to yeah. do this? Mm. And um, you know, I know there's many frictions in black and white, um, which have been um, defined upon the human population, and for good reason, and for good, uh, good meaning. But unfortunately, it's um, denatured and and and, uh, and broken the connection, and uh, has essentially glassed. Um, you know, animals in such a way. I yeah. believe there are people out there with good intentions. Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to explain it because here in Australia, yes. we're unable to handle native animals. Yes. And it's rightfully, difficult you know, when right, you... Rightfully so. I, I feel like when there's a governing body like that, which is um, introducing these laws to protect native animals, I think that's good because I think there's, uh, there is a percentage of people out there that do want to do harm and they do... Yeah. Um, there is a negative side to it, you know, in terms of the possession and the finances of, yes. of doing stuff with native animals and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I really do feel that um, there's there's a huge loophole that exists in the form of what I've done. Yeah. Um, you know, largely what I do is a form of interaction and engagement yeah. uh, with that animal on close quarters, um, but you have to have a very... Um, you have to have a very uh, steady ethical stance, mm-hmm. and you're, uh, and you can only, you know, to be honest, you can only develop that ethical stance by pure experience being out there, but also by having a very wide opinion perspective of having dealt with many different um, individuals within the industry. You know, some of my best friends are vets. You know, so from mm-hmm. the umbrella of animal welfare and animal health, so, uh, some of my good friends are hunters. So another completely different uh, avenue and umbrella. Yeah. Uh, some of my friends are researchers and conservationists. So you know, there's mm-hmm. all these different fields that I've been able to dip into. And then you had a environmental science degree. background degree. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I've, I've been lucky to be able to step into other people's perspectives and see the way they view nature, mm-hmm. but then come back to my self-taught means yep. and to be able to make sense of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you have to have a holistic mind frame when dealing with animals. I've always said that dealing with animals is a bit like dealing with religion. Everyone's <laughs> going to have a different value and a belief system and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, yes. and probably feel quite strongly about it, actually. 100%. When it comes um, to animals, you know, big. Yes. Um, you know, value sets of people put upon animals, and particularly in today's society, and I yeah. understand that. But there's a red line. Yeah. There is a red line, and only with 
you know, a sense of professionalism in dealing with animals, can you be able to define that red line? And that yep. can be very difficult. Yeah. Because some people deal with animals their entire lives, zookeepers and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And it can be tricky. Yeah, your approach might shake things up, make them think different. So what you basically do is, if you haven't seen his um, YouTubes, go and check them out now. Um, millions of hits and viewers um, and subscribers. But basically you wild animals, mm-hmm. bring them to the camera, mm-hmm. tell a bit about them, um, educate people, but in a fun, you know, comical way. <laughs> Charismatic and clowning. Because that's the way to draw people in. And that is, that is me. That really As is you are. Character. Like, I am a clown by nature. Yeah. And if you're too... This is the thing, Chloe. Like, if you're too serious, yep. and you're too academic, and you're too intellectual, Yeah. people don't listen. Yeah, you don't draw people you're in. You're boring. Mm, yep. So you've got to come up with your own quirky means of being able to get that information yeah. out there. Right. Catch and release and we can feel like we're with you That's during right. the process. 100%. Um, actually, it does make me think of the question you often get, which is chuchi. Can you explain the chuchi. meaning of chuchi? <laughs> right, so chuchi is a word that I kind of, it was like self-created and it falls into the same context as the word mate. Yeah. Or friend. You know, mate can be used in so many different contexts. Like, hey mate, can you do this? Oh, mate. Or, you know, and chuchi kind of fits the same lines. But the story behind chuchi was... Um, you know, it got to a point where I'd just forget people's names. I'm terrible with names. Yeah. So I'm like, oi, chuch, chuchi. So chuchi became, I guess, a universal word for hey, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it kind of got incorporated into me talking to the audience. It was like, hey, chuch, yeah. come on, join me on this adventure. So that was the origin that of chuch. That was it. So now you guys know when you um, listen in. Um, I remember even, like, Googling, chuchi, what does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> Nothing exactly. came up. I was like, I've got to ask him. Lucky. <laughs> um, so... Basically, your your purpose on getting the animal on the screen is just to sort of get people up and close with them, which we so. normally don't. Mm. Well, I think there's been many forms of documentary, um, you know what I mean? And every every different form of documentary has had its benefits and, you know, has obviously had its controversies as well. So we look at David Attenborough. Um, and actually, you know, funny enough, when people think of David Attenborough, they think of a very passive, observational person. You know, with fantastic mm. dialogue that is you do. that is directly um, linked to an animal's behaviour in that present time. Now, and the flamingo is doing this, and as you can see, the flamingo raises his head because he's trying to, you know, attract the female in or whatever. And he talks you through the dialogue as the animal's doing it, which is beautiful because yeah. it enables you to understand the animal. So, but also, uh, that dialogue enables you to relate as well. Yep. in a great way. So there's that form of documentary. There's the other form of documentary, which is Steve Owen, which was mm-hmm. the... His way of engaging with the audience was in two different ways. It was an energetic form, mm-hmm. but the other form, which I thought was quite hilarious, it was always like, oh, you're going to get bit. <laughs> like, he was always one second away from being bit or injured. You know? Yeah, and that yeah. Was the keeps you on your exactly edge of your like, seat. You know, this, this guy's going to be killed, quite literally. So, um, and that's what, you know, I guess kept the audience engaged and, and watching. And then once yeah. he had the, the audience engaged and watching, that's when you'd bring the animal out and show him the animal. And I guess um, there are similarities, obviously, between, you know, myself and, and, and Steve. But I guess um, I've tried to take the more behavioural kind of sides mm-hmm. of things, you know, and work with the animal's behaviour and come up with new methodologies and new strategies to how to, mm-hmm. I guess, um, get the animal in his own environment, you yeah. know, using things against him. But yeah. taking in a holistic thing about the resources, you know, what's the time of the day, what's the temperature, how much has he ate and how much water has he drunk, which one am I going to go for? So yeah. I've tried to look at the science of the capture Yep. And then bring the animal. But you can see, like, the process of YouTube is really getting people to think in a, in almost like a scientific format. Yep. You know, but in a practical format as well. Yeah. And, and you kind of think, oh, he did that last time for that other animal. What's he going to do this time? That's you almost cool. kind of think alongside you. Um, mm. And it does make you, I guess, back to our natural instincts. Yeah. It lets, enables people to be able to think that, you know, I guess another reason is because it's got to be. It's got to be pro-human engagement, but also has to be pro the information that you're you're giving out about the animal. Because you know, what's the purpose of bringing the animal to the screen? Yeah. Leave the animal alone, just film it. Yeah. Then you're probably not going to get the same engagement that you would. Yeah. You wouldn't. 100%. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to be able to interact with the audience and teach yeah. them about you know some of the problems and that sort of stuff. And were you surprised with the engagement you received? Was it did it start off as a bit of fun the YouTube and then? Mm. 
How I, is it? I looked at the documentary industry and I always wanted to be as authentic and credible as possible. And I knew that the skill set that I had in bringing it to camera in a raw and organic way was enough to draw people in. Yeah. And I always knew that. Yeah. I knew it. I'd watched Steve and I'd watch other presenters and stuff. I was like, no, nah, I'm going to be different. Mm-hmm. I never copied. I think, um, the biggest difference that I had was when it came to that is a lot of entertainers and presenters have looked at it in a business format and a lot of them do it today. Mm-hmm. They look at logarithms of YouTube and what's required. Oh, we've got to upload another video this week and mm-hmm. oh, this is what people want and da 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 and all that sort of stuff. And there's this very sell-out approach. And I believe that they lose their core... Uh, their core drive and I've seen this happen mm. I think what, what's been uh, integral to what I've done is it's all about the quality not mm-hmm. about the quantity and it's got nothing to do with Definitely. the business it's got nothing to do with the business model what and, you put out there you know it's going to be phenomenal well <laughs> and, and I never wanted to you know I've watched a lot of other guys like you know let's um, do I had a letter turtle cross a road or like <laughs> um, you know let's see what this pig eats or how many apples can this emu eat or something <laughs> Like that, and that's that's great. I guess it's, if it's all in the in the in, in the cause of education, that's fantastic. But it's not going to exist on my platform. Yeah. My yeah. platform was always about next level. Yes. It was always about doing stuff that people hadn't done before. Yep. It was all about inspiring the viewer to get out there. Mm. And do you get feedback from viewers? Do you feel that people are giving you this feedback that you're hoping to inspire in them? Hundred percent. You know. Mm. Actually, um, you showed me today um, someone that you know. Caught um, a blue tongue, was it? Or yeah. um, you know, back. you know, safely, yep. um, you know, and and released it. It's yep. all about the release. Yep. Happy and healthy, and off they go. Yep. And you know, people might feel uncomfortable with the capture, mm-hmm. um, which is understandable, myself 100%. included. You know, we're yep. all compassionate people, mm-hmm. but I think that your intention and your purpose is very honourable, and um, you know, I, I very much support it. I think. Connecting back with nature is a huge part of saving nature. 100%. I feel like the way that things are going, you know, um, we've got spent that unfortunately don't have the luxury of wildlife. Mm. In Australia, we're very lucky. Yeah. You know, so I can understand, um, you know, why these laws have been put in place and all that sort of stuff. But there is, there is a definite loophole that exists, and I yeah. believe that there should be programs um, put in place to get young children back out there mm-hmm. in the environment. Yeah. You know what I mean. Um, in um, in a very practical sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of like what you were trying to do at school, right? Bringing back. Well, exactly. So <laughs> you were trying to start a new curriculum. <laughs> I was at school. I remember I used to go out at school. I used to catch snakes and bring them back to the classroom. Oh god. I'd be there with it. It's funny because like I don't think that'd happen today, but you know, yeah. I'd catch like a red-bellied black snake and have it in my backpack and bring it into school and science. Tell people jump. how dangerous and venomous the snake is. Yeah, oh, I think the red bellies are probably in the top 20 uh, <laughs> on the venom scale in the LD50. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, and I'd bring like a black snake into school and. Um, you know, the science teacher, he'd be there with the students and I'd be handling the snake and then, you know, come lunchtime, the science teacher was like, oh, you better go release that snake now and it was just, but it was <laughs> fun, like, and that doesn't happen today. Yeah, yeah, you were educating people at no. school. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, people might be interested, I experienced it myself today, um, how do you go about the footage? Um, and how long does it take to achieve one of your, you know, mm-hmm. hit videos? Um, sometimes they're going to happen very fast, very organically, you know. Yeah. Nature's nature. Nature's unpredictable. You yeah. can't bullshit nature. Yeah. You just can't. No. Um, but you saw the way that I've done the, done the filming. And, yes. Um, uh, whenever I put together a video, it's a fast summary yeah. of the actual product of what it takes. You yeah. know, you see it in five minutes or four minutes or six minutes, but the reality of the situation is, on this tour that we've done, you know, each yep. day we spent um, you know, um, yep. walking around and all that sort of stuff, you know, on the, on the, on the floodplain. Barefoot, and down barefoot, rivers, up, down. <laughs> yeah, so a collection of, you know, uh, and um, we've got five minutes. Yeah. And there's a big process that goes into play. It can be very strenuous. Yeah. And um, and that's easy. 15 to 16 hours of five minutes of food. That's, that's, that's easy. Oh, that, that is like that. That's easy. Yeah. I've spent months yeah. on animals. And to depending get a five on minute the animal. Yeah. Months to try and get the good shot and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like I've spent months. <laughs> So enjoy, savor the video, listeners, because um, ah. a lot of, you know, sweat, blood, and tears probably have gone into them all. Um, and you have not only just been in Australia. This is where you're from. You're down from the Wollongong area. What, just outside? Yeah, <laughs> south of Sydney, about an hour, 20-minute drive south of Sydney. Yes. Um, Wollongong was a fantastic place. It, it served yeah. as a training ground when I was a child. 
We've yep. got a number of venomous snakes down there. We've also got a lot of feral animals. And it was a, a great environment to learn in and to run in as well, many different terrains. Yeah, you're and, quick. And cool weather as well. I love the cross country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can um, tell you got a got a gift there. Yeah, no, I, love, I love the. <laughs> You've got an edge running. against the animals. Yeah, but um, you know, it was it was it was it was fantastic down there. It was great. Made a lot of good friends and uh, took a lot of people out. You know, gave, yeah. gave them a whole new respect for animals. Yeah. And I'll, I'll come back to the whole to the whole relationship with animals. You know, when people come in, they've got this. They don't understand. You know, a crocodile and this and that. And I feel like when I move with that animal and I'm comfortable with that animal, I get it into like a position or whatever, and I bring someone in close. Yeah. All of a sudden, that fear starts. Like, yeah, you mm. start to lose that fear, and they become more learning from that animal. You mm. know what I mean? Like you really draw them closer. I've done this with people with snakes, um, with crocodiles. Yeah. With, you know what I mean? With, with Even myself. You know, I've had yes. some exposure. It was it was very cool handling um that water python. Yep. Um, night before last, mm-hmm. and just your instructions and just a few tips on how they move. You can actually feel somewhat in control. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it is empowering, as you said before, for people to experience that. Yeah, definitely. So where else have you been in the world? Can you give us a brushstroke, um, you know, idea of where else you've explored? 100%. Uh, so um, been all over Australia, I guess you could say. Uh, yep. I haven't really done much of the Western Australian coast. Um, dot, 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 coming dot, up. Yeah, dot, 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 uh, potentially. Um, uh, I spent time all over Southeast Asia, from Thailand to Vietnam to Indo to Cambodia. Mm. Uh, I spent time in Myanmar. Um, and what's the order that you did these things in? So, mm-hmm. I guess Australia. What was your first big outside Australia trip? You'll laugh. The first place I decided to go was Africa when I was 22. <laughs> I was like 22 years old. Yeah, I jumped in the deep end. Right. Yeah, and so is that where Yukels vs Africa yes, video came exactly. from? So. Get, get a hold of that video on um, Andrew's website. Uh, yep. It's brilliant. Um, AndrewEucles.com, yep. correct, is the website. Yep. Um, so, so let's start with Africa then. Um, we'll go through each country you may have. Africa was intense, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I landed in, in Nairobi. Yep. And I remember getting out from the airport and things were different. Culturally different. Yep. Society was different. You know, you literally just jumped in a different box. Yeah. And... Um, Anyway, when it came to the animals, it was interesting. Uh, I had to make a lot of contacts to enable the type of footage that I wanted to acquire out there because, mm. uh, yeah, there's a lot that governs, uh, particularly in Kenya, you know, it's very tourism-based and very um, grid-lined, I'd call it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the way that everything's fence-lined and grid-lined and, and warranted, and it has to be over there, but um, I met up with some people that really wanted to get on site and help me. Yeah. And uh, enable me to have these close interactions with animals. Uh, yeah, I can see that you've made some great local connections there. Yes, and they're yeah. on the video, and it's yeah. it's nice to see that aspect too. Yeah. yeah. And they were rangers, uh, and, you know, they could see that I was doing no harm. They were quite uh, entertained and quite thrilled to see a white half-naked Australian <laughs> doing stuff out there, you know. But they uh, wouldn't because, touch, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that was interesting. So made some really good connections there in Zambia and Tanzania. What did they think about you? Well, they you're thought, the wizard, right? Yes. Were you the white wizard they or called something? Me the white, yeah, they called me the white <laughs> wizard, which was, which was interesting. I remember saying to one ranger, I go, look, I want to catch um, some black mambas, uh, forest cobra, spitting cobra. He goes, you're crazy. He goes, no one catches, you can't catch them. No one catches them. I oh, said, my God. Put me out there in this environment, I'll catch them. So I had this uh, this head ranger of a national park following me with a camera, and I was out there, um, you know, uh, tracking down snakes. I remember when I caught the first black member, I remember just looking up at him, and he wasn't even concentrating with the camera. The camera was actually off to the side, mm. and he was just looking at me because he was so startled with the fact of how I caught this snake and how I was just in control of it. He wasn't even filming. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and that was an interesting experience because I don't think they'd ever seen anyone like that coming yeah. to the environment. And just and wanting to do it, you know, yes. and seeking it out. Yes. <laughs> and that's why you do get, you have a reputation of being a little bit, a little bit crazy, right? <laughs> you know. Well, I think like, I think that that crazy image, I really do fuel it out. Yeah. But as you saw when I'm out there, like you know, when I come into a dangerous situation, yeah. I'm always cautious. I'll even go, no. Yeah. Calculated risk. Bang. I told Andrew. It's nice to hear you say, no, let's not go through that water. Because then when you say, yes, let's go through that water, I know that you're screening, you know? That's right. <laughs> I've been able to prioritize danger and risk, 100%. Yes, calculated risk is what you're doing. And what I loved about that documentary you did was it gave me 
a more accurate sense of how African environment. Mm-hmm. Um, my mum and I went last year, and it is true that they give you a lot of fear about these animals. Yeah. Feel accurate, inaccurate. Um, well, it sells. Mm. T cells. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, the big five, the elephants, the lions, the yeah. hippos, you know, the, the, the leopards and all that sort of stuff. He does sell, and that's, I wouldn't say it's been the, the pledge of, you know, Africa, because Africa sells Africa because the animals are magnificent and it's a beautiful landscape. Yeah. But I did, I did feel that, um, you know, when you go on those guided tours and you're looking out for, like, a, um, you know, thick glass window and they're like, you know, you've got to be, a giraffe can kick you, you know, over a football field. That's how powerful they are. Um, you know, there was a lot of fear uh, mm. about the animals and stuff. And, you know, I remember one on the first little tour, just to just to feel the part of the atmosphere of people <laughs> oh, yeah? down there. And when I was the safari? Like, this is ridiculous. This is so shit. It's like, you got to be kidding and me. Did you f- and I tested it all. I yeah. I chased the giraffe. I got into water with hippos. I tested everything. I ran at lions. I, I tested everything. So when I got out of that environment, I was just like, they're you, lying. Yeah, you did it's test it. It's all one big lie. I think for me, what was um, the most powerful um, thing that you did was actually those lionesses on that giraffe carcass. Yep. And you went up and they ran mm-hmm. away. Okay, so two trains of thought that come in. Is that, is that how you describe what happened? Am I mm. describing yep. it properly? Because um, I thought they would defend it and they would grr and they might attack you, but yes. you were... Well, it's funny because I'll break this down to two different ways. Okay, so those parks are obviously managed by rangers, and I feel like the rangers almost instill like a little bit of fear and always that like, constant interaction with people in cars and da da da. The animals know their flight distances and they've learnt certain human behaviours and all that sort of stuff. And even at one time, you know, if a if a lion's got a bit too you know close to people, they could even put a couple of shots into the air to scare that animal. You know what I mean? So there yeah. could be inherent fear that that animal's had from the past. That could be. That could yeah. exist. You know, because you know, animals retain that kind of information so um, you know that could exist the difference is this is generally when you're trying to push an animal off a carcass the animals kill that carcass is on top of it he's in a very instinctive mode you're going to get the most purest retaliation from that animal if you push him mm. Yeah, that's the acid test. That is the acid test. That's right. Mm. It's a different thing to running after lions in the plains and all that sort of stuff. But mm. when he's on his carcass, you're really going to learn his behaviour. And it was interesting to see in that time frame, if you look at the way the lions turned back on him, the ground light sort of stuff, it was in such an instinctive state that there was no, none of that inherent before fear existed. It was, right. he saw me as a predator. Because he did. You've got to remember that the Maasai's out there used to hunt lions as well. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure lions do uh, cause attack from time to time with, you know, native villages and farmers and all that sort yeah. of stuff. They, I'm not saying they're not a dangerous animal, they are, but I think your approach is very important and being able to identify the ones that you can approach. Yeah. Because there was lions out there that I saw from a distance and looked at them, approached them, they'd come close to me, I'd get behind a tree because I'd just know that that mm. animal there means business. Mm. Or you'd get other ones away. You know, when an animal looks at you... So, yeah, did you ever fear a lion would chase you down? And kill you? Yeah, not really. You know, I think that's calculated. Because what too. about that lion that looked at you and you went behind a tree? Yeah. That, that okay. was a bit nerve-wracking. So, I've, I've learnt with animals a couple of things. So, if you're proceeding towards an animal, an animal looks at you, looks you dead in the eyes or looks at your figure. Yeah. It looks at you and then he does that and looks behind and looks at you again. Him looking behind, he's, he's doing that for two reasons. A, he's looking for a retreat. He wants to know if that way is safe. Yeah. And B, you know, for evolution and for the time that human beings have, have been on this earth, They've realised that humans aren't solo hunters. We hunt in groups. Mm, okay, yeah. So when a lion looks at you and looks behind, it's because he's probably been ambushed before by humans before. Uh, okay. So he's assessing his environment behind in him. In that animal's lifetime or just in general for I that think species? Just in, I think just in general. You know, humans, okay. you, humans and these animals have, have we've been on this... So they might have inherited that kind of instinct. Yeah, we've been roaming on this earth for tens of thousands of years with we those have. animals. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You know, we just haven't, We're we, meant to be mixed we with them. We, we haven't just popped up in the last 200 years, you know. We've yeah. been around for you know, tens of thousands of years with these animals. Yeah. You know, we've evolved with them and they've evolved with us. And there are certain animals that will look you dead in the eye and yeah. go mm. and that you've got to pick up very fast because that yeah. means I go into a tree yeah. and you've got to have a contingency plan so it, whenever I was approaching lions I always did it with a backdrop of there being like trees I can get up into mm. and it's funny because they're like well a lion can climb a tree yeah that's very true but imagine the situation of being up there in a tree having a branch or a stick and a lion's coming up and you're on top of him pointing <coughs> down with the branch, oh, to poke his going, eye out or something. Going down. <laughs> that is a very intimidating uh, feeling for an animal. Mm. Very intimidating. It doesn't matter uh, what animal is, is against. To have something yeah. above him, 
you know, scaring him downwards. Well, I liked what you <laughs> said on the... Very, on the. He's very forceful. Yeah, I liked what you said on this tour. One of the most intimidating things is to be stared at, point blank, in the animal world. 100%. But what's even more intimidating, you're saying, is when you pick up a stick you and point, you it. point it at someone. It's very intimidating. And I can imagine, you know, up from a tree even more so. So, actually, I kind of put that in my back pocket if I ever needed that in some situation. A hundred percent. And also what I picked up from what you said on the tour was... Um, yeah, I got a sense that I am seen as a predator, even though I kind of feel pretty harmless. <laughs> Just because I have two legs, I have these two eyes, and I'm standing up, mm-hmm. I'm already threatening. Mm-hmm. Even though I feel like I've got like no nails, my teeth are blunt, you know, <laughs> I can run as fast as I can, but not as fast as many others. I think the vision, that kind of look of our eyes pointing forwards, yeah, already is highly intimidating is <laughs> for an animal. Yeah. yeah. Very intimidating. Yeah. And when you stop and think about it, with those two eyes facing forwards, <laughs> yeah. you're gonna look at me differently now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> two eyes looking forwards. I am. Uh, it's kind of like a lion. Yeah. We all have a lion inside of us. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? We're drinking. Yeah. So it must have been just a fabulous experience, Africa in general. It was. Um, Beautiful. And. I know that you left the honey badger to return to, and to <laughs> do you want to tell us a little bit about your challenge oh, there? Oh God, it makes me upset every time. <laughs> oh, I spent weeks um, after that animal, you know. What and I mean? maybe just tell a little bit about the honey badger. Oh, people don't well, know. We uh, we walked kilometres through the bush. I was with four um, four very hot, very skilled uh, trackers that were out there, and we managed to get onto uh, the tracks of a honey badger, and that'll go huge distances. Then we figured out what hole he went into, and we got those seven of us in. This is the way I work. I don't give up until we get him, you know. And I was paying him. <laughs> Settle in, guys. Ten dollars. Ten dollars for the day. Yeah. Um, and I remember I had a machete, and these guys, they were, they were great. They were good workers. And we dug and dug and dug, and we were trying to dig this animal out. And it was from an embankment, so the embankment was up high, so we were literally digging like a channel. Because we knew he was in there because we could hear him. And you know you're kind of getting close to an animal when you can look inside the burrow of an animal and you start to see that dust. You know what I was saying? Like the mm. dust, the dust that kind of kicks up. Yep. You know, when you're starting to get close, you can kind of see that dust fade in like osmosis, you know, slowly mm. seeping back into the new oxygen out of, out of the hole. Couldn't see that, couldn't but see I, it. I could hear it, and it was funny because I would walk up on top and I'll put my ear to the ground because you know sound travels better through. Yeah, ground. you've got insane sense of hearing, by the way. Oh uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pick up, I'll pick up and stuff. I'm like, did you hear that? I'm like, ooh. And um, yeah, put my ear to the ground, and I could tell that he was digging this way. And then we tried, we tried multiple things like trying to dig this way, trying to dig this way, getting down, and we're digging huge depths. Um, we were there for hours on end, mm. you know, a full eight-hour day trying to dig this animal out between six of us, and he was still beating us yeah. to the point that they all gave up. I didn't give up. I was still, and I was exhausted yeah. to the point where I could barely pick up the machete. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I said, right, I'm going to camp out in the front, and the guy was like, listen, like, I don't think you understand what this animal's like. Yeah. People wait here for a week. Yeah. I think unless you challenge an animal like that, do you really understand? how good they are at what they do and what their skill set is. And the funny thing is, I still, to be honest, I still, and I won't, if someone was to say to me, oh, well, tell me what, you know, tell me, um, you know, what the honey badger's like and all that sort of stuff, I'd say, to be honest, animal, because yeah. I, I haven't been able to observe him and I haven't been able to capture him bringing yeah. to talk about him. So, so, so I am not a honey badger expert, <laughs> but one day I will. Be. One day you will. You'll sit down with me and I'll tell you what you <laughs> to know about honey badgers. We'll do, a, we'll do a debrief on it all. Um, so you guys will have to listen or watch the, um, the video to see the animals that Andrew experienced. So Africa, mm-hmm. what was next? What did you want to challenge yourself with next? So I think after Africa, um, Africa. <laughs> North America was after Africa. Okay. I believe. Yeah, so I spent time in North America. Yep. Totally different landscape, totally different. Everything I wasn't used to. Yeah. I feel like largely in Australia, a lot of the mammal species are diurnal. Most things are diurnal in Australia. Yep. North America was something that was going to be completely different. The majority of the animal, yeah. all the animals I was going to be up against were going to be nocturnal. Right. While those animals are occurring in like suburban areas, like your raccoons, your opossums, your skunks, you know. Um, so it was going to be very different, a very different contrast. Yeah. And not to mention, it was predominantly mammal-based. Um, mm-hmm. Which I already had my mammal experience here in Australia, but going to um, North America was going to be something which was completely different. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was it was contrasting, but I learnt a lot. Yeah. You know, and I went over there and I done all the courses and all that sort of you know the hunters course, the trappers course, and you know got a very holistic mind frame of of um, of how the U.S. runs their systems of 
of um, fish and game management, whatever yeah. you refer it to. Actually, you must learn about the animals, but also learn how these different countries manage their animals. Yes. Um, oh, God, that's a whole other podcast, that isn't it? Is... But But maybe when we go through these different countries, you can give us a little... Well, your opinion on it. I mean, you've touched a bit on Africa and how mm -hmm. there's obviously tourism that they draw in. Mm -hmm. um, I guess North America doesn't have that draw card quite like Africa. Mm -hmm. Probably Africa dominates tourism. the world for come and see our animals, yeah. would you say? I feel like I feel like it's largely split up between tourism and hunting concessions. This is in, um, in Africa. 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 Uh, I think in, in and hunting, yeah. In North America, um, yeah, there's a. Uh, there's quite a large trade there to do with, you know, uh, the hunters, you know, hunting like the white-tailed deer and all these different like, deer species and the moose and all that sort of stuff, mm. um, which is like quite, quite, quite the thing uh, in America. Mm. You got to understand that when you start to look at the U.S. system, it's very different to the Australian system. In Australia, we have the privilege for those that do recreational hunting to hunt our feral animal species. We're not allowed to hunt. Uh, native animal species, you know, we can't go out there and collectively mm -hmm. shoot kangaroos or wallabies and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. That requires, um, you know, uh, every single legislation is different, but you know, um, which is there's, there's good which because is good. Um, so I guess we don't have too many of. That's right, but um, the US really adopts the uh, the ideology of. Um, you know, um, there is some thresholds within the environment and um, quotas and things. Yeah. And how many animals need to be culled and a healthy population, all that sort of stuff. And they've really dove into that as quite the um, the fantastical um, ecological example of how um, wild populations need to be managed. And or just to throw it out there, it could just be one whole big business flick, um, mm -hmm. which I'm not going to get into. Because mm -hmm. um, you know what, it's when you get into conservation and the topic as you say with animals can be murky territory to go into it's it's very philosophical <laughs> actually how we go about it i feel like in, in in conservation animals like some will have their point of view and they'll just say and full stop full stop <laughs> there's no real full stop because there's always uh, yeah. an answer that follows on from that you know there's yeah. always another question that follows on from that and I, I see it with a lot of naturalists and conservationists you know they'll say you know um, you know like with the and I'm staying outside of this but you know with crocodile management or you know um, you know crocodiles are the apex predators and you know we, we can't go out and cull them you know they're so important to ecological balance and all that sort of stuff and and you know they'll talk about the whole business mechanism of how they want to introduce you know you know, game hunters here to shoot them, how that money will go in, and the conservationists say, no, we've got to protect these animals, and it's this ongoing debate mm. left, 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 right, and centre. And I feel like with the conversations that you have with, with, with the conservationists, it's always a uh, full stop, uh, emotional entwined to the longevity of the species, da, da, da. whether or not it's a realistic way of looking at the situation or not. Is something I'm not going to get involved in. Mm. I'm not going to, I've got my own opinions about that, but I'll keep it to. Mm -hmm. I'll keep it to keep it to heart. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's just got the right intention. I think but they should manage the human population. That's all I'll say. Yes, 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 yes. Let's forget that's... about managing animal populations. Let's start thinking about family planning. Yes. <laughs> that's all. Oh goodness, no, that's a very fair point, and we'll hopefully touch more on what you think could be solutions for the overall planet. Oh, I can't come up with a utopian <laughs> system That's going right to be our, our finale. Definitely not. Um, but yeah, um, fabulous. North America, maybe just say a favourite animal that you caught there and then we'll move on to your next country. North America, skunk. Skunk! Did it, did it make you stink? Oh, it did. You, know, oh. <laughs> you loved it. That's a whole other podcast. I feel like there's so much information about that. Oh. Is there a video for us to see on that? Yeah, I do. Okay, I, I, I do I've not seen skunk. that one. So, the funny thing is when I actually caught a skunk and it actually had sprayed me, it was interesting to note that uh, I was actually mentally affected by this. You're probably thinking, no way. Mentally but affected yes, by the spring um, of a skunk. When you get sprayed by a skunk and it's such a pungent smell, it stays with you. Any kind of clothes that you got, throw it away. And there's all these different household remedies of like using like tomato juice, so using this and using that and all that stuff. No one wanted to have a beer with you. Use Dawn soap mixes. None of that works. So what happens is your actual body absorbs um, almost like a perfume. I guess they actually use uh, skunk spray. I think uh, the esters from there's something some component that they use out of skunk spray in perfumes anyhow. But it gets right. a, it gets absorbed into your body. So it, be, <laughs> so it becomes a part of you. You probably think what's wrong, oh, oh what's wrong with that? The problem is this: is if I was to get sprayed now, 
and it lasts with me for 10 days. This for 10 days. Doesn't matter if I have a shower. If I put clothes on, it'll go into the clothes. Oh my god. If I lay on the bed. Pepe Le Pew. Yes. If I lay on the bed, it'll go into the quilt. So it's a smell that like always just with you. And what happens yeah. is psychologically it starts to get to you. And you wouldn't think it you wouldn't think it does. But it does. It psychologically wow. starts to get to you. And then I started thinking about the whole thing about this chemical and all that sort of stuff and why skunks would do it. And I came up with this this funny kind of thing in my head. I thought about it. Uh, skunks being out there in the environment. How many skunks does a bear eat in its lifetime? Because once right. he's been because once he's been sprayed, mm. uh, he's learned his lesson. Because this is going to affect him in yeah. many aspects, you know. Um, or like a coyote, you know, a coyote being sprayed, you know, he's not going to be able to stalk up on animals because yeah. they can smell him. Oh, right. uh, even like in the social structure of being with other animals, if he's going to stink, mm. you know what I mean? It can really affect their whole, mm-hmm. um, yeah, day to day life sort of thing. So the chemical has a lot of science behind it, I believe. Yeah. So the question um, put to myself was, how many coyotes does a, um, so how many skunks does a coyote eat in his lifetime? The answer is one. <laughs> Just one. And are there any other animals that have that same defense mechanism? I can't really think. It's such an unusual one, isn't it? Oh, you know, there's many, there's many different sh- skunks. You know. And how I far does in, it in fire? In South America, there's a type of, of as well. Yeah. Um, they're pretty accurate, and um, you know, they're obviously just going for any kind of like frontal, yeah. like according to your face. Do you get to be I quite near? Two, two meters, I think it is. Two meters, yeah. Like it's a very yellow, pungent uh, thing that comes out from that anus. <laughs> and you still, uh, you still it's, caught it's, the skunk it's, though, it's though, did you? Gland. I did. I wanted to get sprayed because I wanted to endure yeah. the thing, and everyone was like, "Don't get sprayed." <laughs> and I got sprayed. So if someone was, to, if someone was to say to me now, yeah, catch. I'll be doing it in a very different way. Yeah, like, like you rain probably coat. learned. Yeah, I did. And, I, and yeah, to be honest, I'd look at that animal and psychologically it hits me and I'd be like, well, just stay away from him. Stay, don't touch him. Stay away from him. Yeah. And it's funny. Yeah. yeah how, how it affects you that way. How it affects me. Pungent. <laughs> oh my God. I did not like, expect that to be like, the answer. If people had ever smelled marijuana before, it smells like like marijuana and rotten eggs. <laughs> oh my God. Uh <laughs> I would have loved to have seen the looks that people give you um, as you walk down the street. Bizarre. <laughs> they knew. There you, you go. You walk into Walgreens or Walmart and they know. That <laughs> and then you had an opportunity to go over to Indonesia, is that correct? Yes, I spent time over there. Yeah. Um, give us a little brushstroke of uh, your experience well, that there. Was, that was, um, I think that was a sad part, the way that they go about their wildlife and the amount of poaching and all that sort of stuff. And, mm. Um, the way that they, um, you know, the non-target hunting that they do, uh, and the way it, you know, it affects the waterways with their with their styles of fishing and all that sort of stuff. You, Is there much government involvement? Or uh, not, not really. Not really. No, yeah. Pretty relaxed over there, and uh, it's funny because like I feel like Southeast Asia is the opportunity for a lot of production companies to go and film in those places because of how relaxed the wildlife laws are. Mm. That's another topic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what was your favourite animal to capture in Indonesia? Um, Give us a little, little story there. What would you say? Asian, I think the Asian Asian palm civet was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Very relatable to like the um, the possum, like in, in North America, very yep. similar as well, uh, in size and structure and being um, yeah, same, same, same sort of behaviour. Then um, so the Asian palm civets are arboreal. Um, the possums, I believe, in North America are arboreal, but only until a certain uh, and then okay. they're predominantly terrestrial. Yeah. On the ground. Um, but yeah, they were very interesting to do with Asian pumps and very. Mm. Mm, were they hard to catch? Is that? They were, they were very difficult. So do you like the hard catches? I the d- ones that make you think. I do. You know, I think the animals that that uh, I think have always been the challenging ones and the most inter- interesting ones, are the ones from the Muscle Day family. So like um, the otters. Uh, like mm. the uh, the badgers, you know, they're the really interesting animals because mm. they've got a lot of character to them. It's easy to film with an animal like that <laughs> because you can draw a lot of character. You know, you can imagine a honey badger being there and he's trying to bite you, yeah. and he's trying to do this, and he's trying to do that. Settle, it's, settle. settle. It's, a, it's an animal you can easily work with. Yeah. Uh, but you, yeah, so another thing is also like you got to be very careful when doing filming with with mammal species because um, they resonate in different ways with the audience. You know what I mean? When yeah. you're with a mammal. Uh, as you saw today when we caught a pig, mm-hmm. um, it's very hard to show that to an audience of people um, because uh, high-intensity squealing screen mm-hmm. uh, sets people off. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't exactly sit with them. Mm-hmm. So uh, you've got to become very conscious when you film with animals out there in terms of the noise they're going to make. Yeah, yeah. No, that is. When they're caught. 
That is fair enough. <laughs> um, and you have told me that you are eyeing up the European Badger. Is that yes, your Eurasian Badger? Eurasian Badger. Yeah, um, so that that's your next. Uh, I just love Target. it when, when I do animal species and someone turns me, you know, t- turns to me and says, um, you know, this animal you've really got to stay away from. Like, you, you don't want to go over there and do that. And that just says to me, well, I've got to go. <laughs> go, go do that. Yeah, You're so, one of those types. <laughs> but I dare say I will do the honey badger uh, before I do the Eurasian badger. Okay, yeah. 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 So we just got to keep us tuned. Yes. Um, so an obvious question is, um, there's probably many, but maybe name a few diseases injuries um oh, obviously this comes with its risks and you haven't always gotten out of jail free cards yeah. have you okay uh alphabetical order <laughs> um i've gotten dengue i've gotten leptospirosis i've gotten pseudocosis i've got malaria i've had um i've had bot flies i've had schistomoniasis when I was in Ooh, Africa. Which one's that? Schisto. It's like intestinal. Um, what they call like intestinal worms, are like from the snails, I think it is. That, right. that like develops inside your gut. Prosequantil, I think it's prosequantil. Oh, prosequantil is against it, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that helps kill it. I believe mm-hmm. that's what I was taking at the time. Um, so made you feel pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. Um, pretty crook. What else? Um, yeah, there's been like an array of diseases I've caught out there from yeah. doing venom. Look, I wouldn't say in direct, com- in direct connection with the animals, but as a result of being out there in the environment. In the trying environment. Because actually, know, you were, vectors, I guess. yeah, and you were saying that actually you've done pretty well with um, not getting very many infected bites, right? Mm-hmm. That's um, right. Which is right. interesting. Um, yep. How many bites or breaks have you had if we go into that kind of uh, injury okay so physical 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 injuries like ankles and all that sort of stuff um you know i've broken my i've broken my ankle i've done ligament damage on both ankles mm-hmm. um, and this is I've, from your sprints yes um, yeah you know falling slipping on logs hitting termite mounds just yeah just flexing it mm. out there i've had compression fractures to my vertebrae I've broken wrists from falls. Mm-hmm. Um, but your else? philosophy is just patch up and get back out yeah, there. Yeah, you have to. Don't use it as an excuse. You heal these. If you want to heal your ankles, people, go and run on them. These people with ankle excuses and knee excuses. Oh, but I had surgery and this and that. No, get out there. Get back out there and keep doing it. Yeah. You don't want to go stale. I guess because you, you think, you know, pain and mentality is oh, a big thing. Handy yeah. man. Um, yeah, get back out there and keep doing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Spading the eyes by spitting cobra. That was a bad one. Sprayed in the eyes? By spitting cobra in Mombasa. Ooh. Yeah, that was a bad one. Yeah, it was, it, Did you lose your vision for a while? It you... got very blurry. Yeah, that, was, uh, that wasn't good. That wasn't a good situation. Oh, me. my God. <laughs> and do you have a favorite animal? This is impossible to, to answer, but maybe a little soft spot for one in particular? I'll say the honey badger because, once again, he represents himself as an animal that I still don't know much about. And yeah. An animal that's been able to evade my... Mm-hmm. My, pre- my presence yeah. so it's an animal that's so to the top of the list and to be honest it's not one of those things of once I caught him he won't be the favourite animal I still believe he'll be the favourite animal because he represents something that I see within myself yeah. that very mischievous almost somewhat fearless kind of nature yeah, yeah I'll look at that animal and go right. very tenacious they want to do something they do it and they can even chase off lions that's, that's what they're right. known for doing right that's this right. small 100%. smallish creature mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Um, any mentors in your life that Yep, you definitely. could um, share? The first one, which is like the bizarre one, is Michael Jackson. Yes. More so than anyone. If you've else. seen his. I took, he wanted to take pictures to the next level. Yeah. I, I, I say that too. Because you can um, bust out some of his dance moves, oh, right? It. You've had lots of practice out oh, in the bush. I used to just study and watch him dance. I think that's stuff. also what draws people into your YouTubes is um, the, the, the moonwalk. You should have done something with the pig today. <laughs> uh, but. Um, yeah, Michael Jackson was a huge influence, you know, the genre that he created and the vision that he has, he was so sure of himself, you know what I mean? He was just a spectacular individual that had amazing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was a visionary, yeah. you know what I mean? And the talent that he had, you know, you couldn't buy that talent, you couldn't fake that talent. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were really aspired to him. Uh, I guess there's been, uh, you know, other influences as well, you know, David Attenborough, Steve Irwin. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, I feel like the musicians and artists and their form of creativity has really sparked me, though. Mm. You know, yeah. yeah, and I guess being a creative as well, yes. you know, um, I think you have a creative flair yeah. to potentially animals can become overly scientific. Yes. So I think you mix things up, which is fabulous to you see. Got, you got to. You got to. Um, TV career, would you like one? Yes, no, yes and no. pros, cons? I, look, I've, 
talked to people that were close with Steve. Yes. And uh, this is Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin, and um, they knew him very well. And there was a side of him that hated the yeah. career and the fame and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah, and you can and relate to Steve, right? That's right. These are first-hand accounts from people that were his best mates. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to go down those lines, you know what I mean? Because yep. I feel like everyone needs a personal space, including myself. I do believe that we had the advantage of when things get too crazy and da 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 that we had you know the privilege of going back out there into nature and just mm. decompressing yeah you know what i mean um but you know i think that's an avenue um that's you know i've been um you know set upon for a very long time and i, I feel like i've got a skill um you know a skill set that i want to teach people yeah so that would be the 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 best window and avenue to do so so if something uh arises it does yeah. if it doesn't i'll keep chasing stuff. yeah it'll help you achieve your goals i guess because you can help reach more people That's right. um, i feel very privileged to have this time with you but i also would love you to share it with more people because yeah. i think it'll help improve their lives and the life of humans in general definitely so um pros cons right yeah, um so. you might have to be a bit sacrificial in a way yes ex- exactly <laughs> um, exactly i think i think it's coming your way and how how do your family feel about you and these um these risks you take? People obviously would think that when they watch your videos. I think like any parent, every parent doesn't want you to take unnecessary risks. You know what I mean? I think that's been a, a driving force with my father. Um, yeah, you know. Um, he loves you. Yeah, definitely. He, he doesn't <laughs> Must want, be hard. Doesn't yeah. want anything to happen. You know what I mean? So. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're obviously going to. So be they've very, got a normal as we would expect reaction (laughs) so he's had a sense of protection and all that sort of stuff yeah but it's in a day you know i was born to do this i I think as you say you've told me and i feel it too this is what you're meant to do so it would be harder to not do it than to do it even though it comes with risks and diseases and breaks and i think so definitely (laughs) have you had a scariest moment in all of this? So, I think when I caught leptospirosis, yeah, yeah. that time I was telling you when I was in hospital. Yeah, and, yeah, I thought you'd and, say uh, that. the lady from the CDC had flown down from Darwin and she was giving me a visual inspection and she was like, um, you know, we don't want to alarm you, Mr. Eucles, but you may have been infected with rabies. Right, you don't mean to alarm me now. I'm like fucking terrified. You know what I mean? Like, because I, I know what's going to happen now. Oh. Um, that was that was a very bad time in my life, and there was a, that would have been a, scary. A, a point in time that we were waiting for the results to come through, and yeah, um, I was deteriorating to, 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 to going very low, and yeah, yeah, we were all very concerned. Long wait. At that. At that point in time. Yeah. Um, Including myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which you can admit to. Um, so, big question. We touched on it before. What do you think the biggest problem in general the world is facing to do with wildlife, the animals, the environment? Mm. And what do you think is the solution? Mm-hmm. Big question. Wow, that is a very big question. I know what the solution is. I can tell you the solution right away. Um, but I don't think it's with the business model and the progression and development model and the societal. The societal model that's been created for our species keep growing and developing and mm-hmm. that requires uh, more humans mm-hmm. um, lift to the earth the earth's an organ you know what i mean and we've lost that we've lost it. and you know you look at other animal uh, populations and stuff and um, they've been managed you mm-hmm. know in their own in their own ways you know yeah and the human population has just went it's just been because what? It's, it's went crazy. Yeah. And it's funny yeah. because nature, as we're discussing, and nature's thrown many different obstacles at us to try and reduce our population with, you know, the diseases and communal diseases and everything else. Yeah. And even, I think, forms of, like, mental disease as well. Like mm. suicide and depression. And, you know, it could even be a, a good thing, you know, that um, there's an increasing population of people which are gay, you know, because they don't want to have kids. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this even could be an environmental thing where... Yeah. The, uh, we're tr- the world's trying to slow us down in terms of our population. Mm-hmm. You know, the world has very uh, interesting ways of, of, of doing that. Yeah. Uh, I think we've got a huge crisis on our hands. You know, there's been a number of people which have said it before with human population. Yeah. It, it's going to get out of hand, and our Earth can't sustain it. You know, yeah. it just can't. And it's funny because. Uh, we live in a world of contradiction. I'm sitting here having this conversation right now whilst I'm wearing a cotton shirt and drinking a beer. And, you know, all these things have come from nature, you know, all the luxuries that we have. Yeah. So I think it needs to start at government, and government needs to start introducing policies to restrict humans because we need to be restrained almost mm. like animals in a way. I know it sounds bad. No, but, but human choice. We are in a crisis, so we need to <laughs> think quick. Yeah, human choices are always going to evolve around the luxuries and lifestyles. You know, yeah. that, every every human being on this earth 
um, is after a, a valued lifestyle. Every mm. human being. Doesn't matter which person. They all want a better more, lifestyle. More comfort and right. easier. That's right. Yeah. This is a, a very contagious yeah. virus which is here yeah. and we've all been a part of it. Yeah. So we need to start thinking of well how how can we how can we truly not word how can we truly mm. manage this? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's um, a really difficult question I've just thrown you. Yeah, <laughs> we could be here for like, you know, a decade still chatting about it um, as time yeah. passes and maybe a meteor meteorite will hit it's got to be something external that will come here and hit and change things up I think yeah. I don't think there's going to be you know being a vet yourself and knowing yeah. how genetically diverse we are yeah. there's not going to be a zombified virus or disease that's going to come through and wipe out a quarter of the human population yeah. I don't think that will happen yeah. something else is going to happen and it's funny because even the media I think these days has taken the whole perspective and opinion of uh, well, the next step in, in human civilization is they've taken this whole new thought that hu humans weren't designed to end here on this earth. We were designed to explore and venture out. Oh, really? Out. Wow. And that's, been, and that's been a new perspective, you know wow. what I mean? Which is that interesting because there. that kind of just kind of means like, yeah, no, you're right. Let's just fuck up this planet and move on to the next one. <laughs> Dispensable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we are our worst enemy. And... I think that we can learn a lot from nature if we engaged more with it mm -hmm. because nature is in check with its resources um, but right. we seem to be artificially manipulating our right. world and toxic but then it's very hard to say well you guys can't have this life but we can it's a very complex question but I think as we both said on our chats you know David Attenborough himself has said human population is the number one issue of our time and it's mm -hmm. a crisis. He says women empowerment yes. because women, particularly in developing countries, if they have an education, they will have maybe one or two children like Western world versus many, um, eight plus, um, and that could greatly help. And as you've seen, as you've spoken about in the Amazon and places, um, you know, also financial security because sadly, if people don't don't feel financially secure, um, and they have to chop down trees or something for their family, they will. So if they're put under that kind of pressure, they they probably don't want to destroy their planet, but they do because they're put in that situation. Yeah, it's a, it's That's a, tough. It's a very um, you know current survival thing that you can yeah. overlay in all these places. You can't. It's hard to say to them, no, you can't do that when. We go back and sit on the nice. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a survival theme which exists within all human beings. Yeah. And it comes back to the thing. And you know those women in Africa that have several babies, they're doing it on an instinctive thing that because the last two babies they had died, so they're going to have eight. And um, hopefully we'll get some uh, good bearing children that can uh, live and survive and take care of me when I'm older. Exactly. That's a survival thing. That's yeah. very instinctive. I completely yeah. understand that. Yeah. And I, I, I believe that if they've if you know there's a lot of people which are obviously working on this there's obviously outside hugely outside my field you know yeah pure stigma. i know there's a lot of individuals out there very well known i know natalie i think natalie portman i'd love to meet her one day mm. i think um you know her understandings of of human evolution her understandings of like um you know where where, where humans are going and all that sort of mm. stuff um is like one of her um you know uh, one of her passions and i think um, the last thing i heard of her was um, the way that um, the, the social structure needs to change in Africa where women have like a sense of empowerment where mm -hmm. they're, they're the ones making decisions and if they're more business minded and they're more educated they're more inclined to have smaller families and mm. all that sort of stuff you know definitely. what I mean so there's, there's definitely something there. I think education plays a huge part yeah lots of different angles and actually um, thinking on the fly just now of this conversation um, I've actually just thought you know it's more so the western world is putting pressure on the planet with you know electricity and how we live than the developing country That's having right. big families so I think what's great about connecting with nature is that right now this feels like luxury mm. just even sitting on a table is luxury after you've been in the wild so if people connect to nature more then we might not need to always have the aircon blasting and you know all these electronics because if we camped more or we went out and sailed more got in the water or we might feel more content with with less mm. that's uh, using energy and I like to, I like to see it like with the Western movement and stuff it's more of like an indirect sort of thing where we'll sit back on a couch and and say oh you know with the poachers and this and that and da 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 and, that, and then we'll turn off the TV mm. uh, and it's interesting because there's an indirect um, 
there's an indirect effect on, on the environment and there's a direct effect on the environment and many of the western world is an indirect effect you know where we're utilizing uh, electricity we're utilizing mm-hmm. all these resources and all that sort of stuff to suffice our to, to suffice this luxurious lifestyle and then there's that or the third world which is direct uh, impact on the environment from poaching, from logging, mm, from it, yeah. that sort of stuff. So we, we are all to blame in our own different means. Yep. You know what I mean? I think we all have our own carbon footprint and all that sort of stuff. And we can all point the finger. But um, you know, um, you know what the carbon footprint difference would be between a villager that lives in in Africa to someone that lives in the suburban city of Sydney. I'm sure they've worked it out. I'm sure they've figured it out. Mm. I'm sure there's a formula there. Yeah, you know interesting I mean? to. Um, to know mm. what I find with my podcast interviews is that the more I ask, the more I have questions. Yes. So it becomes this um, bottomless pit. But um, yeah, we could just keep chatting forever, couldn't we? Um, we for but I would love to ask, um, what is next? And then I'll give you my wrap-up question. So um, what is next for for Andrew Uccles? Right. So uh, <laughs> let us know. I think there's going to be um, other videos I'm going to upload to the YouTube um, platform and stuff and, um, you know, to keep that sense of audience engagement and all that sort of stuff yeah. because, you know, the viewers love it. Yep. I mean, you know, I've got to, you know, feed them content and yep. make sure they've been You've created this monster. They're demanding it. Exactly. So <laughs> I've kind of been on the hush for a while, but now I'm going to, you know, I'm going to come back. Um, there's also going to be like a new merchant to a different platform doing stuff with uh, with the network, I think. So who, Great. Knows, who knows what could happen there as well. Yeah. But, um, you know, wildlife and my commitment to what I do is always going to serve as the number pro- number one priority in my life. Yeah, yeah. I think that we should all keep watch of you because it's always going to be entertaining, interesting, um, educational. Um, <laughs> so, um, last is this, question. Is this the hard final one? Go. Yes, this is it. So, um, Give it to me. look. In the context of conservation, preservation animals, how do you stay inspired? I was going to give a one line about four would be appropriate. <laughs> so I was about to say to because, up. because I know how fucked up the world is. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> because someone's going to do it. And that would be the Australian answer. That is so, that is so Australian. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Is this not funny? I know you're expecting something very intellectual, something very like <laughs> very uh, thought-provoking, very thought-provoking, something you know more academically sounding, but it's just like I, I have to stay inspired because I realise how fucked up the world is. <laughs> right, um, and that way I can still keep in character at the end of this interview. That's right. With how intellectual I've been. Oh, that's great. So if you'd like to wrap it up like that, then we certainly can. Chichi. Chichi. Um, and. You know, thank you so much for spending time and um, having a chat. And I know that you have inspired many and you will continue to. And hopefully this podcast will also serve to that effect. Definitely. It's been a pleasure uh, having you out there. I hope you've learned. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Friends for life, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Chloe. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening, guys. And I hope you enjoyed sitting alongside us as Andrew and I shoot the breeze. If you are up for an adventure, definitely sign up for his Yukles Wild Tours. And if you are not already following him on YouTube or Instagram, do so and watch the space for where this talented animal catcher and nature advocate will go. As always, check out the show notes for questions you may have had from listening, such as what does an Asian palm civet look like? The show notes can be found on the podcast app or vetchloe.com, along with photos I have shared on my trip with Andrew on my Instagram, vetchloe. And if you like this show, I'll be most grateful if you could tell a friend, subscribe, or rate and review on iTunes. It all helps. Next episode, say good day to Navarone Salerno, the Australian cowboy, as he's known on his fantastic Instagram and YouTube channel. So check that out. There you'll see how he showcases what probably most of us romanticize as the real raw Aussie way of life, but it is his actual life. Much like my bonus episode on Aussie farmers in the drought, this episode is not strictly on conservation, but I believe it is important to always have a holistic view of how we are all connected and how we treat the land. So listen in to learn more about how NAV and other Aussies not only live, but thrive off the land. Till then, stay kind and I'll see you at the next stop.